Cool. How is everybody together today? Everybody good? Enjoying the wintry weather? In England, we call this a wintry mix. That's what we call this, a wintry mix. And I love it. I like it being nice. Worst thing possible about Christmas in Texas is when it's sunny. I don't know about you, but I love it when it's really, really cold. Is that just me? Or is you? That's just me. Okay, fair enough. I'm the freak. We all, I think we already established that a long time ago, so that's fine. Okay, so what we're doing today is we're going to continue looking at this uh, idea of patterns that God uses to shape us and to uh, help us move forward and understand uh, what he's doing in our lives. So kind of uh, patterns to help us understand his direction in our lives. Um, last week and a couple of weeks before that, uh, we looked at this idea of a diamond. And we looked at the psalm and the psalm says that God stoops down to pick us up and he broadens our path so our ankles do not turn over. And we looked at this idea that God sometimes broadens our experiences, gives us lots of different experiences as he grows us into the person he wants us to be and do the things he wants us to do. And we looked at Joseph, if you remember that. We looked at how God um, called Joseph, gave him a vision, but 17 years later, he saw that realized, and in that time, he'd been training him and preparing him with all sorts of experiences he didn't need, uh, didn't need didn't realize he needed to know, and he gave him this kind of faithfulness that God had, had kind of brought this faithfulness in him. So today we're going to look at something different. We're going to look at a different um, quality or character or gift that God wants to do in our lives or bring in our lives. It's one of my favorite. We're going to look at faith. So I love talking about faith because the Bible says without faith it's impossible to please God. So the good news, and I'm a bit of a positive thinker, is that with faith you can please God. And in fact, you can be quite flawed, you can have all sorts of faults, you can make all sorts of mistakes, but if you have faith, in some ways, faith is God's love language. And if you look in the Bible, there are all sorts of people who make mistakes, and yet they're credited with righteousness because of their faith. So the question is, how does God develop our faith? If God is looking again uh, a couple of weeks ago, if God is stooping down, he's lifting us up, he wants to make us great, not for our glory, but for his glory... Uh, and he wants to lead us into things where we're going to have faith, greater things for him. How does he develop that faith within us? So uh, the psalm we're going to look at uh, today is this. When things were going great, I crowed. I've got it made. I'm God's favorite. He made me king of the mountain. Then you looked the other way and I fell to pieces. So uh, somebody else smiled at that. I always smile at that. I kind of think it's funny. I get that idea that God, you know, we get somewhere, we feel successful, we feel like God's got his hand on me, I'm king of the mountain, and then the minute God looks the other way, it all falls apart. So faith, where does faith come from? How does God develop our faith? So I want to draw the little pattern just to kind of explain uh, a little bit. Um, you would think that faith... Or maybe you're not like me, but I would have thought that faith goes something like this. You, you kind of X marks the spot where we become a Christian. Uh, and then we just kind of grow gradually in faith. And, and for many of us, maybe that's your, your journey. Maybe that's your kind of journey. You, you, over time, you just grow in faith. My journey has been different. And, and I would suggest most people's journey is different. It looks a bit more like this. We grow in our faith, and it's a series of ups and downs, ups and downs. God gives us some challenges, some things that he, he encourages us to go for, 
Uh, and on the long that journey, there are ups and downs and ups and downs. And um, the idea of a mountain and valley experiences, they're not uncommon, Ali. You know, we often talk about ma- mountain, uh, mountains and valley experiences. Most people I, I speak to tend to say, well, God really developed my faith in the valley. And maybe you've had one of those valley experiences where you, you feel crushed, everything goes wrong, and you re- reach out to God, and God is always there. Yes? Yeah, amen. I'm going to suggest, because I like to provoke thinking, I'm going to suggest that actually the greatest faith is built on mountaintops, and I want to explain why. So one of the problems with valley faith, as good as that is, is that sometimes, for some people, that when things are going bad, we lean into God, and that's okay until things go good. And then we can sometimes forget him. Now, that may not be the case for all of us, but I've known people like that, and I've been like that in my past. Things were bad, I let into God, I prayed, I came to church regularly, things got better. Well, maybe I wasn't quite so on fire with Jesus as I was before. So, maybe there's something God does in the mountain experience that is also pretty incredible as well. So, um, many, many years ago, the first time uh, I ever saw a mountain, I was about 24 years old. Um, I think I've told this story, but when I was younger, Lynn and I lived in um, kind of the most deprived part of England, and um, there was a big thing in the press um, one year that people in our streets, kids in our streets had never seen a cow so that kids of about 15 years old had never seen an animal unless it was a house pet. And I was a bit like that. I thought the whole of England kind of looked like a city. And I remember going to Scotland to a place called the Three Sisters, and um, um, they showed show me the mountains. I looked at these mountains and thought, that looks fantastic. And they said, we're going we're gonna to walk up the mountains. I said, walk, I'm going to run up that mountain. I can get up that mountain. And I shot off up this mountain. I was young. In those days, I was fit. I was slimmer. I shot up that mountain. Everybody else is taking the time, walking after me, kind of tutting under the breath. There goes Paul. Obviously, by the time I get to the top of the mountain, I'm out of breath, but I've got there and I've beaten everybody, which I'm really happy about. So I'm there, and I get to the top, and just as I get over the brow of the mountain, I suddenly realize this is not the mountaintop. This is what's called a false summit. And actually, oh dear, there's the mountain, and maybe that's not even the mountaintop. And so what happens is that sometimes in our life, we get to a place where we think this is the destination God has for us, only to peer over and realize, actually, God's got something much greater. But that much greater thing requires greater faith. And there's a process that we go through in this mountaintop situation that I think is about how God um, shapes our faith. Because there's no point having great faith for the wrong plan, is there? We want great faith for, for God's plan, whatever that is, and whatever the next uh, step actually is. So I was thinking about this uh, many years ago, and there's lots of people you could use from the Bible to explain this principle. Perhaps the best person I could think of is Peter. Um, Peter, his whole life is almost a comedy show, if you really look at it, of ups and downs, ups and and downs. But let's first look at some of the amazing things he did. In Matthew 15, he was the first, you could say, first recorded to really recognize Jesus as the Messiah and the Son of the living God. What a great faith statement to make. This guy in front of me, I believe, is the Messiah. I'm going to make this proclamation to everybody. In fact, he's got some divine nature. He's the Son of the living God. 
Incredible faith. He walks on water. If you ever tried it, it's difficult. It requires faith. He led 3,000 people to Jesus. Now, what's amazing about this, the fact that he led 3,000 people to Jesus, is it wasn't a really nice sermon. He basically gets up and tells at least 3,000 people that you crucified the Savior. That takes faith. That takes courage. Where did he get that from? How did that happen? How, how does this guy grow in his faith? What, what's going on? What is the process for that? Um, we know that he wrote a couple of books of the Bible, and we know that he petitioned the Council of Jerusalem about the Gentiles, which, without going into details now, was another incredible step of faith. So here's Peter, lots of ups and lots of downs, and some incredible things happen in his life. But the best example, I think, is later on towards the end of the story of Jesus. Because there's a little section in Peter's life that kind of explains why this happens. So we're going to turn in our Bibles to John chapter 12. If you've got your uh, Bible out or you can just follow me, John chapter 12. Uh, and um, you've heard me say this before. Sometimes I read the Bible, I'm sure you do as well, and I think there's something, I'm sure that's not the full story. Something's going on here. This doesn't make sense. And this is one of those, uh, those examples. It says this. Um, the next day, the great crowd that had come for the festival heard that Jesus was on his way to Jerusalem. They took palm branches and went out to meet him, shouting, Hosanna! Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. Blessed is the King of Israel. Jesus found a young donkey and sat upon it. As it is written, do not be afraid, daughter of Zion. See, your king is coming, seated on a donkey's colt. At first, his disciples did not understand all of this. Imagine this. Here's Peter walking into Jerusalem with Jesus. He must have thought, this is it. It's the triumphal entry. Jesus is coming. Here comes the king. And guess who's his right-hand man? It's me. Five days later, he's denied Jesus. Five days later, he's all alone. Five days later, he probably feels like he knows nothing anymore. And five days later, he was at rock bottom. Or was he? Or was his fa in fact, his faith closer to the kind of faith that Jesus wanted him to have. I know we've said this before at Saints, that following Christ, having faith in Jesus, isn't simply about having faith in Jesus. It's about having faith in the things that Jesus has faith in as well. Having faith in the plan that Jesus has, not just our own plan. So here's what I don't understand about this story. So th this is the narrative I've heard in church for years and years and years. And in, in my mind, there's a little elephant in the room that nobody really talks about, and, and maybe that's the same for you. So you've got the triumphal entry. So everybody turns out to welcome Jesus as the Messiah. Everybody's excited. Then a few days later, everybody's shouting, crucify him. And then a few days later, everybody's getting saved, being filled with the Spirit and joining the church and giving all their possessions away. I know people are fickle, <laughs> but that's just crazy. What, what is really happening here? Well, let me just try and explain a little bit. First of all, so, so just in case we're unsure of the context, 
when Jesus comes in the triumphal entry, you've got to realize just how much these people believe that Jesus is King and the Messiah. Um, it says that they are waving palm branches. They're actually waving what are called lullabs. I think I'm pronouncing that correct. I'm not sure. That's the Manchester version. A lullab was a, a, palm, a, a palm and a couple of other um, kind of similar leaves that were folded together to make uh, something you could wave and you could, you could do this with. And they were shouting Hosanna, which sounds like just praise him. Actually, Hosanna means please save us. So what they're doing is they're, they're, they're lifting this thing up. A lullab was essentially a um, logo um, for the zealots. It was a symbol of revolution. It was a symbol of a coming king, a different king from Caesar. In the same way the swastika is a logo for the Nazis and the Hamanus sickle was a logo for the communists, a lullab was a, a, um, a symbol for these guys. And as they're shouting and as they're singing Hosanna, they're taking this from Psalm 18, 118, which when recited, and again, the, the, the lullabs were shaken, says, O Lord, save us, O Lord, grant us success. This pretty much looked like some kind of revolution was about to happen. Jesus walking in, they're, they're essentially crowning him king, and they're doing it in front of all the Roman soldiers. I mean, it's incredible. This, this is an incredible thing. And Peter is right there, probably thinking, this is it. Here we go. Let's get ready to kick off. Ready to rumble. That's what they say, isn't it? The boxing. Let's get ready. I mean, that's, that's basically what's going on. So what I never understood was why would these very same people then shout, crucify him? And the answer is pretty much because they weren't the same people. So what happens is that Peter, as we'll see in a minute, is it goes on the journey with people. But what happens is, uh, at the Passover, just so you understand, at the Passover, it was a big meal. And part of the Passover ceremony was, and some people in this room will be very happy to hear this, involved four cups of wine. Each cup meant something very different. Uh, the third cup, um, I think it was the third cup, when you drank it, you were, you were agreeing with everybody, we're going to have a shared destiny for good or bad. It's where we get kind of the marriage vow from. So what happens is it goes on for, I, I can't remember what time it started, but it finished at something like, um, let me just check my notes. It finished at um, midnight. And what you've got here is you've got everybody um, getting involved in a really big meal, quite a bit of wine. Now we could argue about whether it was alcoholic, non-alcoholic. It was probably alcoholic, but fairly weak. But four, four glasses of wine is still a lot of wine. And people would doze off. In fact, they had to write a law into the missioner that said, where Rabbi said, if you just know enough, like this, <laughs> and you wake up again, you've still fulfilled the commandments. But if you fall asleep properly, you've not. That was, that's actually written law because this was such an issue. That's why the disciples struggled to stay awake in the Garden of Gethsemane. So what happens is, at the trial of Jesus, that's an illegal trial. It's happening behind closed doors. It's happening early in the morning. Most people are having a very good sleep. And I mean a very good sleep. By the time, by the time they get up, because the first temple service the, the next day would have been about 9 a.m., by the time they get up, the crucifixion's already underway. There was a different mob, a different group of people pretty much shouting, crucify him. But Peter's there all the way through, pretty much. Peter's, maybe not at that point, but he's, he's involved in this situation. If, if you wake up, you know, last thing you knew, 
you were in part of the crowd that's shouting, hey, this is the Messiah. He's doing some amazing teaching in the city. You wake up the next morning or a few mornings later and, hang on a minute, he's going to have to be crucified. You don't realize what's going on. And, and Peter was dead set. He was in the middle of all this. Peter's seen this all unfold. And he gets up and leads 3,000 people back to Jesus. So what's going on in his life? What's actually happening? Because Peter's denial was actually much closer to understanding Jesus' purpose for his life than when he entered Jerusalem. Because our pilgrimage, like I said, is not simply about having faith in Jesus, but in having faith in his plan. So if you were to look on this diagram and say, this is where Peter is, he feels down. Actually, he's further than he was before. And I would suggest for some of us, we do that. You know, sometimes in our, in our journey of faith, Sometimes as we're growing with the things of God, sometimes we feel worse, but actually we're further on than we realize. He's now realized that his plan was wrong. Jesus comes in on a donkey. It's not until later, the Bible says, much later, they suddenly realize, oh, that was a fulfillment of the, at the time, they're confused. Here's the king, but he's chosen to come in on a donkey. And what's happening is Peter's mindset is changing. He's been given faith but for the right plan, not for the wrong plan. He had a, what you might call a starter faith because the way God works at times can be confusing. I think I've told this before, but um, it's just very briefly. Um, I've never been arrested. Um, I've um, broken a European subway train and been chased by guards. Um, I've been thrust against a railing and um, frisked and spread-eagled. Um, I've been kind of proud of this one, I'd been barred from a pub in England that I'd never actually been in before for my bad behavior when I was in the pub, even though I'd never actually been in there. Um, I'd been expelled from two countries under armed guard and passed on to armed guards from a different country, but I've never been arrested in my life. But, G but God was. Jesus allowed himself to essentially be handcuffed and taken somewhere he didn't want to go. And Peter is watching this. It says this in John um, 18. Simon Peter and another disciple, with, just so you can follow if you want to, John 18, 15 to 16. John 18, 15 to 16. Simon Peter and another disciple were following Jesus because this disciple was known to the high priest. He went with Jesus into the high priest's courtyard, but Peter, this is, I always find this interesting, but Peter had to wake outside at the door. But the other disciple who was known by the high priest, came back, spoke to the servant girl on duty there and brought Peter in. In other words, the other disciple got Peter backstage. I actually find that quite easy with an English accent. I, I've got myself backstage a few times. Just put on an English accent, you'd be amazed what, you, what it'll pull off. My boys used to do it, get free ice cream. It's amazing. But he needed another disciple. So he's there. He's not quite with Jesus, but he's as close as he possibly could be, or is he? Because there's two more verses that are interested in this story. Um, John 18, verse 19. Meanwhile, the high priest questioned Jesus about his disciples and his teaching. So what we, what we understand, as scholars would say, is what the high priest was trying to do was find the other disciples. So Peter could have just said, I'm one of the disciples and would have probably been taken, it's extremely likely, be taken because of the way the, the, um, 
the legal system work, would have been taken as a witness next to Jesus and could have stood next to Jesus. But this, of course, is what happened. Meanwhile, as Simon Peter was standing by the fire, warming himself, he asked him again, you're not one of his disciples, are you? He denied it, saying, no, I'm not. One of the high priest's servants, a relative of the man whose ear Peter had cut off, challenged him. There's, <laughs> well, that's pretty bad luck, isn't it? You know, you've got a, a priest there who just happens to be a relative of the guy whose ear just got chopped off and happens to recognize you. And he says, didn't I see you with him in the garden? Again, Peter denied it. And at the same moment, a cock began to crow. Have you ever tried getting closer to Jesus while at the same time denying him? Because that's what Peter did. He's desperate to get closer to Jesus, but at the same time, he's denying him. He's doing that, you know, I, I want to get close, but it's like, you can't have this. And that's what Peter is going through. And the benefit of false summits is they make you realize that you never really fully understood the challenge you were undertaking. And God has a greater faith for you. But what is greater faith? In, in quantum, the word means the smallest quality of energy, the smallest discrete quantity. And the size of our faith is something you and I get obsessed about. So I know for years, I used to pray, God, give me greater faith. And it's only more recently, a few years ago, I realized that probably wasn't the best faith. Because actually Jesus is not that interested in the size of our faith. Jesus says this, I tell you the truth, if you had faith even as small as a mustard seed, you could say to this mountain, move from here to there, and it would, be, it would move. Nothing would be impossible for you. See, success is not found in the amount of faith, but in our assimilation of faith. Are we having faith for the thing that God wants us to have faith for? Uh, God takes us therefore on a journey so we will discover his true purposes and gain the faith to believe for them rather than the kind of faith we need for our personal dreams. So it's a path that time and time again must highlight our misunderstanding of his purposes so that he can redirect them. After all, what is having the point of more faith for the wrong plan? And this is the journey, I don't know about you, and, and this may not make sense to you, but this is a journey I've been on many, many times. I've seen this. Over, over my life, and perhaps over yours, my faith has grown, but it's not been a straight line. And my faith has changed. The things I had faith for in the past are not the things I have faith for now. And what I'm realizing is I don't need a huge amount of faith. I just need to try and understand what it is that God's actually trying to do. And so Peter's in a situation where he's denying Jesus, but gradually it's dawning on him this is not going to happen the way I thought it was going to happen when we entered Jericho, uh, Jerusalem. This is not going to happen through violence. Jesus is not going to do some wonderful miracle and the Romans flee. And that's not what's going to happen. First of all, he's on a donkey. Then he's allowing himself to be arrested. And finally, he's getting himself crucified. But what happens later is Peter has this revelation. Peter has this divine revelation. He's filled with the Spirit and suddenly he starts to get it. What an amazing place to be when you suddenly start to get it and you have faith for what it is that God has. So how do we make this uh, applicable for us? What, what does that mean for us? You know, for some of you, you might look at this and think, it doesn't really make sense to me, but for some of us, I think it does. So here's, here's three things I've noticed just really briefly. First of all, 
is I would encourage you, when you're on a summit, don't feather the nest. Don't camp out. Don't camp out and think, okay, this is, this is I've got it, I'm here now, this is what God has called me to do, because God is always moving us on. God is always moving us forward. God always has bigger plans. So don't camp out where you think you need to be. You may need to be there for a season, but the likelihood is God is going to show you something even greater. Now, that might not be a geographical thing. It might not be to do with your job. Who knows what it might be. It might be just to do with something in your heart or your relationships. It could be a number of different things. What's an amazing, another little funny, Peter does a lot of funny things. So at some point, Peter gets the chance to see the transfiguration of Jesus. And if you know that story, what happens is um, Jesus just glows and is visited, it says, by Moses and Elijah. So what does Peter do? He does this. Peter said to Jesus, Lord, it's good for us to be here. If you wish, I'll put up three shelters, one for you, one for Moses, and one for Elijah. What's basically happening is Peter is saying, this is fantastic. Nobody move a muscle. Just wait. This is how I want it to be. This is fantastic. This is great. Stay where you are. I'm going I'm to get a shelter. Let's, let's camp out here. But when you camp out on a summit, nobody else can sit on that summit sometimes. You have to move on to make space for other people, don't you? So what has to happen in our lives? We have to realize that God is moving us forward. I would encourage you, you know, maybe, maybe right now you feel like you're in a summit place, and that's fantastic. But can I encourage you to look ahead and see if God has something else? Is there something else that God is challenging you? Is, is there a further plan? Because I want to suggest that God is constantly seeing a greater thing in each one, every one of us. There's a, there's a bigger thing he has for us. That's what I've learned in my life, at least. So I would encourage you, don't camp out. Second thing uh, I've noticed, and, and this is an obvious one, and we've talked about this before, is don't play leapfrog. If you don't attempt the small peaks, you'll never get to the big ones. So sometimes what happens is we, we may be here somewhere, whatever that means to you, and we're thinking, well, I want to be there, so what I want to do is I want to step over. You know, I'm here, but I want to be here, so I'm going to wait to this great big thing that God gives me to do, and I'm going to go, boom, 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 and get there as fast as I can. So the classic example of this, again from Peter's life, is much earlier in the story. When he had finished speaking, he said to Simon, or Peter, pour out into deep water and let down the nets for a catch. Simon Peter answered, Master, we worked hard all night and haven't caught anything, but because you say so, I will let down the nets, because you say so. Peter had no idea eventually where he was going to head it. God did. Peter had no idea eventually where he was going to end up, and maybe he wouldn't have ended up, maybe he wouldn't have written 1 Peter and 2 Peter. Maybe he wouldn't have led 3,000 people to Jesus. Maybe he wouldn't have been on one of those huge um, summits if he had not simply said to Jesus, Okay, you can have my boat. And, the, and I, I've shared this probably several times. The question is, right now, what's your boat? What is the thing right now that God is asking of you? It may seem small, but it may be the first step to something amazing. What is that thing that God is asking of you right now that seems small? You might, like, hit, like Peter saying, listen, I've worked all, I've worked hard to get what I've got. Maybe it's something to sacrifice. I've worked hard for this. 
And God said, yeah, I, I want that right now. I'm sorry, but I want that right now. What is that thing that God is asking of you right now? Um, I think there's a key here to faith, isn't there? Because you say so. The Bible says that faith comes by hearing. Faith doesn't come by dreaming. Faith doesn't come by guessing. Faith comes by hearing. And that's a wonderful thing because it takes out the guesswork, which is pretty good. Last thought on this, and then we're going to pray. You have to go down one mountain to climb the next one. You have to go down one mountain to climb the next one. Here you are. You see what says this. Quite often, there's probably going to be some kind of sacrifice, whatever that might be, before you go up. That's what I've noticed in my life. That may or may not help you. But I've certainly found that in my life. There's going to be some kind of sacrifice first before you can go to the next mountain. Um, there's a stunning story. I'm sure you're familiar with it. We're going to read it from Acts 10 just before we finish. It says this, Acts 10, verse 9 to 16. About noon the following day, as they were on their journey and approaching the city, Peter went up to the roof to pray. He became hungry and wanted something to eat. And while the meal was being prepared, he fell into a trance. He saw heaven opened and something like a large sheep being let down to earth by its four corners. It contained all kinds of four-footed animals as well as reptiles and birds, the stuff that's not kosher. Then a voice said, Peter, kill and eat. Get up, kill and eat. Surely not, Lord. Peter replied, I've never eaten anything impure or unclean. The voice spoke to him a second time. Do not call anything impure that God has made clean. This happened three times and immediately the sheet was taken back to heaven. Sidney Cole Howard once said, one half of knowing what you want is knowing what you must give up to get it. One half of knowing what you want or getting what you want is, is giving up something in order to free up to, to get that. Um, and I'm sure you guys have got stories for us, me and then that was like when we came to America, you know, because we had all sorts of things going pretty, pretty good in England. Things were pr going pretty good. We're having a good time um, and we're enjoying ourselves. And uh, we, what we were doing was a national thing and we saw, wow, what could happen if we went to America? But it meant packing everything in seven suitcases at 40 years old and moving to America and starting from scratch again. And I'm sure you've been through stuff like that as well, haven't you? I know, I know some of your stories where for a bigger thing you've had to sacrifice. I know people who, in business, they've had to put the house up, you know, mortgage the house. There's, there's a sacrifice they've had to make. So spiritually, what that might that be? What's that, that thing? Maybe, I don't think we should make things up, but sometimes this is helpful to see these things because you think, okay, that is God. That is God saying that to me. That is God's challenge in my life right now. The proactive decision to descend from one summit because you can see the potential of a higher summit in the distance is a key part of the process of faith assimilation. We're repeatedly forced to lose our personal benefits for the sake of a greater impact for the dreams of God. And I would just lastly encourage you, keep on moving forward. You know what? You never know where you're going to end up. I think Peter ended up in a weird place. If, if Christian tradition is, is true, let me just read this to you. Of the final days of the Apostle Peter in Rome, Jowett wrote that Peter was cast, this is just tradition, Peter was cast into a terrible prison called the Mama Time, and for nine months in absolute darkness he endured torture manacled to a post. 
In spite of all the suffering Peter was subjected to, he converted his jailers, Processorus, and another guy I can't pronounce, and 47 others. It's amazing. If that is true, what makes me think that's probably true is how specific it is. Uh, and so there's Peter, he ends up in jail, and we, and we know what Christian tradition says about the end of Peter. At the same time, he's leading people to Jesus left, right, and center. And, and it, his life is full of ups and downs, but look how God used him. Look at the amazing way that God used him. Let me just encourage you with one thing. If you see a shadow, if you feel like you're walking through the valley of shadow, the only reason there's a shadow is because there's a summit ahead of it making that shadow. If there's some kind of shadow in your life, there's some kind of summit ahead. That's why there's a shadow. And I want to encourage you with that. That God is, is as you move forward, you're going to move upwards. It's going to feel like up and down, but God has got a place to take us to in our own spiritual lives and the things he wants to do through us. So let's just pray. Uh, we're going to ask um, Evie just to come up. I'm just going to give you just uh, something just to kind of dwell a little bit as she comes up. And we're going to pray. I was going to ask her to play quietly. I just want to give you these three questions to, to ask because I think it's always good just to, there may be one or two of us in the room who are like, actually, this is, this is like God speaking to me right now. And I want to give you just a way of engaging with the Holy Spirit. So here's the three questions for those who are listening on podcasts as well. Could the Lord be using this pattern to build your faith? Is that something you want to say to God? Yeah, God, I can see you're doing this in my life right now. Secondly, can you see yourself somewhere in this journey? Is there a place on that, on that little diagram there where you would say X marks the spot? Is that where you are right now? And if so, what might the Lord want you to do in response to this? Is there something the Lord would be asking you to do in response to this message or this passage from Scripture? So let me pray for you. Uh, you'd have to close your eyes. I'd be more than happy if you just watched, looked at the screen and just answered those questions as I pray for you. Lord, we just um, thank you so much for your grace. And Lord, um, it seems to me at least that faith in you covers a multitude of flaws. Lord, you take us flawed and messy. And Lord, yet yeah, when, we, when we believe in you, in your word, when we believe you are who you say you are, when we believe that we are who you say we are, you are pleased with that. And Lord, um, Lord, I want to thank you for that. I pray, Lord, that as we just ponder these questions, you would speak to us, you would guide us. Uh, for those who maybe something's been confusing them in their walk, maybe this might add clarity and even uh, a next step to take. Lord, we thank you for the story of Peter, uh, a lowly fisherman like Mark talked about before, just a normal person that you use for incredible things. May we never limit what you can do in us and through us, we pray. In your name we ask it, Lord. Amen, amen. Let's just stand. If you would like prayer for anything this morning, uh, you might want prayer because you want to respond to something in the message or the worship. Uh, you may need um, prayer for something in your body or something you're going through in your daily life. Or if you would like prayer, um, you'd like us to join with you and pray for someone you know who needs prayer, we'd love to pray for you for that as well. So I'll be stood at the back uh, where the banner, there's a little bit of clue, it says prayer. Um, and we would love to pray for you guys. So if you need prayer, please go back there and we'd love to pray for you. Otherwise, we're going we're gonna to worship.